Welcome to Good Technologist, a podcast about how innovators are using technology to make our society a better place in Asia and across the world. This podcast is brought to you by Better.sg, a movement to drive tech for good based in Singapore. We believe that collaborations across disciplines and diverse people can help technology drive better social outcomes. My name is Rovek and I'm your host today. We're very lucky to have two guests today who are both working on bridging the communication gap with the migrant worker community in Singapore, primarily those affected by the COVID-19 crisis. They may be addressing the same issue, but they are also working on distinct projects with each driving a different part of the solution. First, we have Sudesna Rao Chowdhury, who created a Bengali translation portal on a free Wix site, which was then made into Translate4.sg by a team led by Ani Root. This is a free translation resource tailored for all medical practitioners in Singapore in light of the recent COVID-19 outbreak in the dormitories. Languages currently include Bengali, Burmese, Telugu, and Tagalog. We also have Shana Tan from VisualAid.sg. VisualAid is an effort led by Jason Liao and Shana to build a resource site of illustrated translations that can be used almost like flashcards to help healthcare workers communicate better with migrant workers affected by COVID-19. For their day job, Sudesna is doing a housemanship and Shana is a service designer at Tantok Singh Hospital. In this interview, we talk about the stories behind the ideas, the crowdsourcing effort that drove both resources, and how it was like serving the migrant worker community. All right, welcome to the show, Sudesna and Shana. Hi. Glad to have you guys both. This is our first time doing an interview with people from different platforms. But I think because what you guys are doing are so similar and so related, it'd be only right that we get you guys both on at the same time. And if I'm not wrong, actually, Shana, Visual Aid was kind of built off of what Translate4 did. Am I right? Yes. So off because we saw a need for not just an audio kind of translated response but something that the healthcare workers could print and use as well. Maybe in your own words, Sudesna, can you share what Translate4 is and then after that, Shana, it would be interesting to hear uh, what Visual Aid is. Sure. I didn't actually come up with Translate4. As you mentioned, it was something that was birthed by Ernie Rood himself. And what I did come up with was actually just a Wix site where it was a very simple design. So what people did after looking at my website is they wanted to make the design better, for example. So that's where Translate4 came in. And what Ernie Rood did is that he made the interface a lot smoother. He also worked with um, Better.sg to get all the other languages involved as well. So that's how it became a lot more um, of an integrated platform compared to the simple site that I had initially made. For me, because I, I thought there was an opportunity for a low-tech kind of solution, which is why I came up with Visual Aid, because I wanted to look at how we could help to promote health literacy and patient empowerment, especially given the current crisis and communication issues that are arising between healthcare workers and our migrant workers. And I thought that visuals could be a good way to bridge this gap because it doesn't require the reader to have a very high level of education to understand the message. One of the things I've been curious about is what's the drive behind translation products? Because you would think that in 2020, Google Translate would be able to solve all these issues already. What was the gap that you guys were trying to close? I mean, that's like a... 
it's a it's a comment I've gotten a lot when I first came up with my site that like oh you know did she not know that Google Translate exists <laughs> I'm like yes I do know it exists that's exactly why I created the site because it's so inaccurate so sites like Google Translate are really good for languages that are based in Latin, I would say. So like French, Spanish, German, they also have certain features, which is called community verification. So native like speakers um, actually verify whether the translation is correct or not. For some reason, other languages like Tamil, Bengali, Malayalam, Hindi, they don't have the same luxury. And I think this extends to other languages in the regions, just Thai or Burmese or Nepalese or anything. And it's not really because we speak it less. Actually, Bengali is the seventh most spoken language in the world. But just for like the inaccuracy part and the fact that for some reason, um, Google Translate perhaps doesn't have enough employees to verify the translations. So that's why I felt like a more streamlined approach was necessary. I didn't even know that Bengali was the seventh most widely spoken language. That's really interesting. Yeah, I know. I didn't either. And it sounds like it's anything that doesn't really use the Latin script. So, and and there are a good number of languages that don't. So the fact that Google Translate cannot translate those things accurately probably is a big issue for, especially in times like this. Yeah. And and Shana, you took it a step further by really wanting to help with pictorials and visuals. What was the thought process behind that? I mean, like what Sudesna said, firstly, Google Translate is not always the most accurate. And for me, I feel like it's not just about translating word for word, but translating the message in a way that is culturally relevant to the listener. So there are nuances in language that Google Translate doesn't completely capture. Yeah. And also there is a gap between lay people and medical professionals, sometimes in communications. And I thought visuals could be a good way to bridge this gap. It's also unique because especially with healthcare and social work, there are very contextual things that are being communicated because it's not as simple to just say something like medicine. That can have very different meanings in different contexts, I imagine. So so some of these meanings have to be translated together with the words themselves. Was that an issue that was highlighted by people in the healthcare sector? Okay, for me, I definitely was receiving a lot of requests to get a lot of documents um, translated uh, about a week before I launched the website. So because I saw an increase in demand, that's why I had an impetus to create the website. Even before COVID-19 had started, here and there I would get requests to interpret for Bengali patients. So I knew that there was always a communication barrier. For me, I think it was uh, a lot to do with the level of health literacy. And sometimes when, especially in communicating things in the medical field, sometimes there's jargon involved and uh, some things are not always the most accessible to patients who don't have a very high level of education. So I knew that was always an issue that was happening, but never at this sort of scale. Yeah. And I think it was really um, Sudesna's project that really highlighted the need for such an intervention, especially in a time like this. Let's talk a bit about design. And Shana, you know, this is your background. What were some of the principles that you used to design the product? We wanted to keep um, the messages short, simple and clear. So keep everything concise and let the pictures do 
um, most of the talking because we also realized that um, some of the patients also struggle reading the text even after it's being translated in their own language and to especially use uh, colloquial terms. What was an example of something that was better described in a colloquial way rather than probably the more technical way? For example, diabetes. There's a way to say it in Bengali where if you reverse translate it, it means to pee many times. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bengali is, um, I'll say it, so it's bohumutro. So it literally just means peeing many times. And it's one of the symptoms of diabetes, which is actually ingenious. But the colloquial way is to say sugar. You just ask, like, do you have sugar? Like, it's like a drug. Like, hey, do you have some sugar? So, <laughs> yeah, that's how people ask for diabetes. Back in the uh, back in Bangladesh, like after you sugar at yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. A lot of people would be interested to hear how it's being used. You know, have, do you have any sense of how many people are using it, or stories of people using it that that would be interesting? So I think for me, the biggest indicator that people are using it is the fact that I keep uh, getting people asking me to add new phrases to the word bank. So that to me shows that, yeah, people are using it. However, for me, my intention was always to like, just put it out there and then whoever needs it can use it. I had someone telling me that when the test came back positive, all he could tell the poor like construction worker was, Corona? positive and he kept shouting that in that person's face like oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh dear oh man for some reason yeah he felt like maybe if i say it louder he might understand <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean obviously that to me that's when i added like uh certain phrases like breaking the bad news and I, I imagine when you did that translation, you made it a lot more sensitive to the fact that it is bad news. Compared to like, corona positive, definitely. For me, actually, quite similar. Like, I knew people were starting to use it when uh, more people started reaching out to me and asking me to do more visuals for them. Like, oh, hey, I have this form. Could you add some uh, illustrations to it or could you help me look at the layout could we reformat it into a different way so that we can present the information to the patient in a bit more uh, in a clearer manner so that was one of the indicators I guess through this I managed to connect with quite a number of clinicians who have said that um, for a very long time they've been looking for a visual tool like this and they're happy that someone has um, finally done something about it because some of the forms are really so wordy. Some of the instructions to the patients are very, very lengthy and they always wanted to find a way to break it down and make it a little bit easier to digest. Everything has to start with something low tech and you guys did one of the hardest things in any kind of tech product, which is to prove a proof of concept, right? That this is actually something that people need and people will use. And actually that's that in itself in the marketplace is, is worth a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, so what's really unique about both your products is that there was a lot of contributions from people who were not necessarily part of the core team. So you had translations and illustrations, uh, crowdsourced from different people. You know, what was that like? How did that even start? Well, I mean, the sheer number of illustrations that we had to do, I knew that I couldn't do it by myself. And I knew a lot of people who were excellent illustrators from art school. Um, when I approached them for help, they just so readily said, yes, okay, we'll help you. And 
like they were amazing. Yeah, so it wasn't that much of a challenge in that respect. Uh, and Sudesna, so translations, I imagine, were just as overwhelming. How did you get people to contribute? Yeah, so initially when I first made it, made like the free website, it was just translations that my family and I had done over the past week. When the website sort of got launched, then a lot of requests were pouring in from individual organizations because they wanted to do something for foreign workers and they needed translations. So that's when the community really played a part because everyone took you know one document or everyone said like, okay, I'm free from this time to this time and any doctor can call me in these hours. And more than anything, more than the tangible things that came out of it was just forming a community and having a WhatsApp group of 100 people, knowing that these are all native language speakers that just want to help out for the crisis. Like, to me, that's the biggest takeaway. What was it like coordinating across so many contributors for both of you? You know, how do you how did you ensure accuracy, correctness? For me, our team is still pretty lean for now. It's still just a handful of us churning out the illustrations, the text, the translators and all of that. So we all work really closely with one another and we're all quite familiar with uh, online um, collaboration tools. So it actually wasn't so challenging. But for the translation side of things, we always tried to look for native speakers or people who have lived in the country of origin for an extended period of time so that they have some uh, of the cultural context of certain phrases and sayings. And we also tried to send them to a second translator to verify the accuracy of the message. I kind of just trusted everyone with whatever translations they were making. I would read them occasionally. But apart from that, like, yeah, there was no like verification process. It was more... <laughs> Everyone have your piece of the pie. So your verification was trust. You trust yeah, everyone. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I'd imagine that you'd get feedback if those things did not work out as well. So <laughs> that was one way of ensuring accuracy. Yeah, I did, I did have people like emailing me to tell me that this was not accurate, for example. So that's good. There's always that. Well, well, thanks for sharing that. Let's move on to something a bit broader. So beyond just the products that you guys were working on, but the overall tech for good space. And I think what the two of you have been working on is, is very unique in the sense that it's targeting a very niche community, right? The migrant worker community. Pre-COVID-19, when we thought about public good in Singapore, migrant workers weren't really the first group that came to mind. Why do you think as society we have not given as much attention to their needs and why do you think all of a sudden now there's a sudden surge in interest in helping this community? I think the reason we suddenly all would want to help is because of the fact that they are disproportionately affected by the virus. If you look at how much they are in terms of population size and how much their percentage is in terms of the number of people who have the virus. So maybe some people do see that there is some power dynamic or involved where perhaps they are not as well equipped to help themselves the way that we could have if we were the ones that were more affected. So I think that's why there is like an outpouring of so much love. Yeah. Yeah, migrant workers make up 80% 
of the cases. Yeah, I mean, it's not unique to Singapore. If you look at the top 10 countries that have the most number of coronavirus cases in the world, they, I mean, two of those are countries with a very prominent migrant worker community. So I would like Singapore as well as Qatar. Yeah, I guess because we haven't really seen these sort of communication issues magnified at this scale and like what Sudesna said, not all of the migrant workers are as equipped to help themselves as perhaps maybe we would, uh, we might be if we were in that position. And I think people just want to show their support and want to try to help this community in whatever way they can. Yeah. Beyond translation and communication tools, what are other types of apps, solutions, or even non-digital interventions that migrant workers currently need that we as a society and community can help provide? It's important for them to know where they can find the support they need because I know that there are a lot of such efforts going around, but I'm not quite sure if the migrant worker community knows exactly um, all the efforts that are going on. So I think it's important that they know of these efforts and how to reach out when they need um, help. For me, based on my like limited understanding, um, it does appear that the two biggest things that are affecting them right now. Um, you guys should also check out Alex Ao's speech on Labor Day. So a lot of the information I'm seeing right now is based on that. Is um, It's really mainly about money, whether or not they're going to get their wages, whether they're going to get paid. Um, at the end of the day, they came here to give, give their families a better life. So that's the first thing that they're worried about in any crisis. Cool. Well, let's, let's hope that people... Yeah. This isn't the, the end of it, right? That people continue to to find ways to help the migrant worker community. And I think what's if there's one positive thing from this crisis, it's that a lot of us are waking up to the potential for us to really contribute and to help all aspects of, of, of what makes Singapore. Well, let's just jump into the fun questions then. Cool. All right. First question. What's the most interesting translation you guys have come across? What is something that is said much better in a non-English language, essentially? There's a Bengali word called cat. I guess in um, in Singlish, maybe that's something like rabak, which doesn't have a proper English translation. <laughs> For me, I think any foreign food always sounds better said in its native language. Baguette, roti prata, or I don't know, xiaolong pao. It always just sounds better when it's not translated to English. Uh, in one sentence, tell us what does the future of tech look like? I would say integration. In one word, that's what I, I see the future to be, <laughs> integrated. Wow. For me, I I think the future of tech will be very human. It will complement the human touch and not take away from it. Well, Shayna and Sudesna, I think that was a great interview. I learned a lot from what you guys were sharing. And I really appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Good Technologist. If you like what we are doing, you can always find out more on our website, better.sg, and subscribe to the podcast via your typical channels such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. This podcast was produced and edited by myself, Rovic Robert, and our email address is goodtech at better.sg.